everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, flying solo today. We're in the home stretch, final month of the season, just 25 games left. And while the playoffs are out of the picture, there are still a few player-centric topics of discussion worth monitoring over these final four weeks. For the top half of today's episode, I'm going to dive into the five main topics I'm paying attention to, the closest, for the rest of the season. Number one, it has to be Edward Cabrera. He made two starts so far this season, and there's been a lot to like, and also the fair share of reminders that he's still a rookie who only has made two starts at the big league level. His line through his first two starts, 5.23 ERA, six earned runs allowed in 10 and one-third innings, four strikeouts, three walks, five double plays turned. Cabrera, the Marlins' top-ranked pitching prospect and the number 30 overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, he's shown some poise and maturity in the early stages of big leaguer. He's using all four of his pitches, going heavy on his changeup and his fastball, using both of them about a third of the time each, while also sprinkling in enough of both his slider and his curveball to keep opponents guessing. The curveball has been good with some swing and miss. The slider has recorded three of his four strikeouts. He's fine, still fine-tuning things. He's still getting used to the catchers that he's working with. It's a learning process. He has another four to five starts left this season to continue to get those growing pains, get those early adjustments out of the way, sort of like what we saw from Trevor Rogers a year ago where when he made seven starts during that short 2020 season and then was able to come into 2021 on a, on a strong note. Edward's in that stage right now. And Edward's next test on Tuesday is going to be an interesting one because he's facing the New York Mets in back-to-back starts. Uh, we saw what happened last year. Uh, Sixto Sanchez really comes to mind at this point. Sixto, when he made his debut last season, he dominated the first time against every opponent he faced. But the few times that he faced the team the second time around, he faced the Braves a couple times, two or three times in the season, faced the Nationals multiple times. The second time around was when he ran the trouble, not being able to make the adjustments at, against teams that have seen him in person and were able to figure out his stuff after an entire game of scouting against him. Uh, we'll see what Cabrera is able to do and how he's able to make adjustments on the fly as he maneuvers through this next start and what he does down the stretch. Uh, number two, uh, I mentioned him a little bit in this last part, but Trevor Rogers. Trevor's finally came back on the mound Saturday for the first time since July 31st. Uh, That month of August was rough for him personally, as we mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, Trevor was away from the team for a couple weeks dealing with a few family medical issues. Uh, Both of his parents tested positive for COVID-19. And then about a week and a half after that, both of his grandfathers passed away. Uh, He... At that point, he basically said the last thing on my on his mind was baseball. He wanted to make sure everything was okay with his family before coming back. Made a couple rehab assignments with Class A Jupiter. And then was back on the mound Saturday. You saw some rust in there. He only went four and a third innings. He gave up two runs on six hits. But in the grand scheme of things, Trevor Rogers still has Rookie of the Year in his sights. He's far and away the top pitching candidate in the National League for the award. His main competition is going to be red second baseman Jonathan India, who since the All-Star break has been downright dominant. He 
took advantage in terms of the head-to-head competition between him and Trevor with Trevor missing that month. But Trevor still has a chance to make four to five more starts. He has a chance to make a a solid final case. And if he's able to do what he was, how if he's able to perform at the same level that he was prior to taking a step back from baseball to tell with all the family stuff, he has a legitimate chance. Is it guaranteed? Is it going to be easy to get there? Probably not, especially when you also consider that India is a starter on a team that's fighting for a play, playoff spot. But Trevor still has the has all of the build-up and has the resume for a case. And with that, here's what Trevor Rogers had to say post-game following his start on Saturday, including an update on how the family's doing and what he's hoping to make out and what he's trying to do to make the most out of this final month. Thanks, Jason. Hey, Trevor, how did it feel first game back? Oh, great, you know. Um, definitely a little rusty at first. Um, kind of got feet back underneath me a little bit. Ball's coming out really good. Um, so one inning kind of just lost a little bit. Um, going around the zone. Uh, Tim, I have to McCutcheon. He hit a really good pitch. Got good height and good life on that fastball. You just got the barrel there. And, uh, it's kind of nitpick to the pitcher and he got, got some wood on it. So got to do a little bit better on that part. The tech strikes a little bit more throughout the game. But yeah, it was, it was great to be back out there in that atmosphere. And, um, it was just so great to be back again. It was your first time working with Alex Jackson. How comfortable were you working with him tonight? Oh, he did an awesome job. We were just we were clicking right from the get go. Uh, just constantly, if we wanted to change the game plan, constantly talking to the dugout. Uh, he was open to everything, and he gave me his input too. And, um, just a really good, really good camaraderie. Um, I really enjoyed having him back there. Christina. Trevor, um, before your first pitch, I saw you were writing something behind the mound. Just what was that? Yeah, I just put uh, mom and then my the initials for both my late grandfather. Uh, really to just put in perspective what I'm pitching for uh, last last month of the year. You no, know, um, it's been tough. But, uh, Told my mom I was going to compete for her. Um, she, uh, she's been fighting. She fought, she, she fought well and hard and, and she beat it. So, um, I told her, like, you wouldn't want me to quit just like you didn't quit. Uh, so I came back here with, with that in my mind and that I was going to, I was going to pitch for her and both my grandparents. And hopefully I did them proud. Jordan. Yeah, Trevor, first off, I was going to ask, how is mom doing? She's doing good. Uh, I talked to her about a week ago. Um, started physical therapy. Um, getting around a little bit better. Voice is getting better. She's still on oxygen. Um, but yeah, it's a slow process. Um, she's really, it's really testing her patience. Uh, like you said, slow and steady runs the weight. Wins the race. She's going to take it day by day, and uh, she's doing a lot better. 
And then for you tonight, after you came out in the fifth inning, just what was it like watching the bullpen finish off, go four and some odd scoreless, and then the eighth inning rally from the offense? What was it like watching that? It was awesome. Uh, you know, it was just completely momentous. Yes, and my hats off to the bullpen. They've done an unbelievable job this year. Um, especially tonight, you know, that lineup can, can get you when it gets going and for them to just keep them locked down the rest of the game. Um, my hat's off to each and every one of those guys and hats off to Brent. I mean, that guy works harder than any, any guy I've ever seen. Um, and to have him, see him have that success and hit that ball out, I was, I was happy. I was happy for him and I was happy for this team and the way we fought today. And Christina, one last one. Yeah. Your Trevor, um, you know that you're back just with a month left of the season. What is maybe your goal uh, through the rest of the way? Yeah, the um, goal at each and every time out is, uh, is to win. Help this team win. Um, yeah, and just compete. And, I mean, I know I was out a month. and I know that rookie of the year is still there. So I wouldn't be lying if I'm if – I'm, not pitching for that, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. I want to compete for that um, and let the let it fall where it may. You know, um, I've had a good year, and I want to want to keep it on that trajectory and uh, finish this season strong. And on that note, number three is going to be the young outfielders, and this is mainly directed toward the duo of Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz, the two rookies on this roster who probably have the best chance to make a case to be starters when 2022 comes and beyond. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, the Marlins like the, like the power. They've been readily batting him fourth and fifth in the lineup, depending on matchups and who else is in the starting lineup that day. And he's shown the power as of late. Uh, he's reached safely in 10 of his last 12 games. He has three home runs in that stretch, and he also has eight walks in that stretch which has helped him get an 828 OPS in that span. Uh, there are some consistency issues he needs to address. Or the strikeouts have been up a little bit, but again, his timing after missing a month after being on the COVID-19 related injury list, his timing it took him a little bit to get back, back into game mode, but when he's at his best, he has a lot of power to his name. He's a pretty good corner outfielder defender. Right field is his most natural, but he's also had some time in left. And there's a chance for him to, if not be a full-time starter, be a platoon starter with Brian De La Cruz, who, since the Marlins acquired him in that Yimmy Garcia trade with the Houston Astros on July 28th, he's hitting 336 in his first 33 games, and... For the most part, he's been steady on defense, whether he's playing in left, right, or center. So he's shown a lot of bright spots, but the main thing is, let's see what happens over this second month of the season, or the second month of his MLB debut, and how he carries that through the offseason into next year, and see if there are any regressions to the mean that come there. But he's definitely shown a lot of promise, and... With the two of them, if they can guarantee they have at least one spot locked up out of those two, that really help will help them as they go into the offseason where they're going to have to make the Marlins going to make some sort of 
sign, whether it's a free agent signing or a trade or something to get a veteran outfielder in place along with these two young guys and the guys who they have coming up through the system. Again, the J.J. Days, the Cam Meisners, the Peyton Burdicks, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But they need to make sure they have, if they can have one of those spots established, have a veteran, and then figure out that third spot, that'd be a good stepping stone point for the Marlins heading into 2022. Uh, Number four, staying on this prospect train, uh, is if slash when Lewin Diaz finally gets called up and stays up. It's been the main prospect-related call-up question for a while now. Uh, Lewin's the number 11 overall prospect in the Marlins system, the third-ranked first baseman prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And the Marlins, frankly, they need to find out if he's going to be an integral part of their long-term plans. And to do that, he needs to get those reps with the big league club. But the Marlins all season have been towing that line of Yes, they want to see him get everyday reps. They want to see him at the big league level, but they also want him to get everyday reps, which the latter part is really only possible right now with him at AAA because of Jesus Aguilar being their starting first baseman at the big league level. The Marlins were able to figure out ways for everybody else, Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, uh, Alex Jackson now catching by moving Jorge Alfaro around. They frankly need to find some way over this final month to get Lewin Diaz at the big league level and getting regular reps. It's probably going to happen soon, but also at this point, if you're calling him up in the middle of September and giving him two weeks, how much of a sample, how much are you going to be able to judge that sample size? It's almost to the point where it feels like any evaluation they get on Lewin Diaz at this point, the big league level, is going to be too little, too late but you still have to at least get something out of it before you head into 2022. And number five, can the Marlins play spoiler? I mean, we all know that the Marlins aren't making the playoffs this year. They're 23 games under 500. They have 25 games left in the season, but they still have so many games left against the National League East in those 25 games that they could have a role in which of the main three teams contending for the division title, which team gets into the playoffs. Uh, Of their 25 remaining games, seven are against the Mets, who are right now in third place, and then they have three each against the Phillies and the Braves. 13 games against three teams, all of whom are separated by just four and a half games. And then on a lesser note in terms of the schedule, the Marlins still have six more games against the Washington Nationals, That's a half dozen contests against the team that they're tied with at the bottom of the division. So those six games will play a heavy role in who ends up finishing fourth, who ends up finishing fifth, and also just how the draft is going to play out in terms of of draft positioning between those two clubs. Um, A couple other quick topics that are worth monitoring as the season winds down. Uh, Miguel Rojas, he's... 37 play appearances away from hitting 500 for the season, and that's the minimum required for the team option in his contract for the 2022 season to vest and become guaranteed. Uh, the other stipulation is that he's healthy heading into 2022, which basically just means that as long as if he gets through the season healthy and there's nothing that, there's no like Tommy John surgery or any sort of injury that 
was required in the potentially missed spring training and missed opening day. If he gets those 37 play appearances between now and then, he's, his salary, his contract for 2022 becomes guaranteed. And secondly, uh, Jesus Aguilar, he's, in, he's still in the running to finish the season as the National League's leader in runs batted in. He enters the week with 93 RBI. The only person ahead of him at this point is Adam Duvall, former Marlin, now back with the Braves, who's up to 94. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Aguilar hasn't necessarily been the hot hitter that he was at the start of the season. He hasn't hit a home run since August 15th. Uh, he's having some hits. He's getting some moments here and there. But a lot of his hits have come in lesser situations at this point. We'll see what happens over these final four weeks while he continues to hit in the three-hole. And also... If Lewin Diaz does end up getting called up, how much more playing time, how much of that will cut into his playing time as he tries to make this chase. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get an update from Marlins General Manager Kim Ang. I had the chance with a couple other people to talk with her up in New York last week. And we'll hear some sound bites from some other people from the organization just over the last week about where the team is and the direction that they're going. So, on that note, we will be right back. Okay, we're back, everyone. Uh, last week in New York, myself and LMB.com's Marlins reporter, Christina DiNicola, we had a chance to talk with Marlins GM Kim Ang on the field prior to one of the Marlins games against the Mets. Uh, we asked a lot about prospect-specific players. Uh, we went very player-heavy for the most part on this. And with that... Here are some of the highlights from that conversation with Kim Ang. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I guess the first thing, now that the rosters are expanded to 28, just what is the plan for how you're going to do things, especially since minor league is still going on and you can shuffle guys up and down? How do you guys try, how are you planning to approach September with having a couple extra spots up here? Right, so we had um, Joe Panic come back. We had um, Trent Rogers come back. So getting those guys back in the mix is, is great. You know, cool. Hopefully at some point get cobbled and you know, be able to see the rotation that we had, um, that we had planned on um, you know, up here, minus Sixto. Um, you know, but I think we've been doing it for the last couple of weeks, you know, in terms of mixing and matching and you know, getting um, good looks at you know, De La Cruz, um, Brinson. Sierra's been 
So just making sure that we get, you know, each guy enough playing time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Edward, what have been your thoughts on his, right. his first two? Right. Like, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, I know Edward came up in August, but he's really in September. Yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we'll get him an extra start or two um, by calling up prior to September 1st, but he's really one of those guys for us. Yeah, what have been your impression of his first two starts? Um, you know, yeah, in terms of you know what he brings to the table, I mean, his arsenal, the Obviously, this last month he's gone through a lot, but to see him coming back in to finish this, and then just the team support you guys had for him as he was going through really trying time. Yeah, I mean it was. I'm sure it was a really trying time for him. Try to make it back. What's sort of the game 
Yeah, I mean, if he can, you know, I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, we have to go, this is not based on anybody's schedule, um, this is just based on what is, what he's capable of doing, um, you know, at this point, there's no reason to push him into unrealistic, you know, we don't have any unrealistic expectations, um, we just want for the player to be happy. Kim, you guys had a chance to see a lot of the honors. You mentioned Dela Cruz, Jesus Sanchez, Alex Jackson. One guy who you guys haven't just with weight situations with labeling. What is the plan in the final month and just that catch-22 of wanting to see him up here but also wanting the everyday at-bats? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always something that we're going to have to balance. Um, I, you know, I hope to see him later this month, but obviously you know, September 1st, we just felt like, you know, I mean, when you take the number of games that left, I mean, it adds up to almost 100 at pass. So, you know, that, again, you know, we're trying to do the best thing for the player. Um, you know, we'll probably get to a point here where, you know, we feel that we can get him back. I think he was in the outfield maybe once or twice. Is that something it's like I you know potentially if he got called up to try to just at least get his bat in there? What sort of game plan for him? Um, I you know, I think the more versatility you know, any player can have, the better off, you know, if he's gonna be in his career and the better off he will be as a team. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with, you know, Alfaro. Um, yeah, there's not necessarily any number of at-bats that we're going to, or number of games that we're going to put them out in the outfield. I think it was just, you know, let's, let's see. Um, so, uh, you know, but hopefully we'll see him later this week. Uh, Brian Delacruz, did you anticipate him being able to do what he's done this first month? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you always you're hoping, um, but no. I mean, I think to this level, no, not, not, not really. Um, you know, it's it's great to see him be up here and thriving. Um, you know, and he's, he's fit right in. And I think you know we we purposely put him in center field just to get a look at him out there and you know know that he can now. We now know that he can play all three outfield spots um, well. So I think that was, you know, a nice, uh, yeah, a nice uh, you know, check mark for him. So, um, yeah, and then to do what he's doing at the plate has been great. Uh, Jake either was having a great year. You know he's going to go under Tommy John. Just, just your thoughts, reaction, just hearing that and just, what he was able to do this year, his first year in Pro Bowl, yeah, and no, see how it ended that way. I mean, I will say I think he opened a lot of people's eyes you know, across the industry. I think he, you know, we as a group uh, at the Marlins knew that that you know he was a pretty interesting player, um, and I think he proved that on a fairly consistent basis this year, and again really opened up the eyes of a lot of people in the industry. Um, you know, so disappointed for him that, that this happened. Um, but I think, in terms of the timing, you know, we just wanted to make sure that you know, we did it in a way that you know, we could get him out there as soon as possible. Yeah. How has 
obviously last year with the weird you know, pandemic kind of shutting things down or people's innings, just he was one of those guys, I guess, his college year was cut so short. How has the rest of them so far, you know, maybe just managing their workload and not, you know, pushing them too much, you know, whether it's the Myers or him, that balance. Right. I know, um, you know, Gary, Denville, Scott, uh, Aldred have worked, um, you know, uh, very diligently to make sure that we're managing you know, all of these innings in the minor leagues. Gary and Scott speak on a very regular basis just in terms of what's going on with all these guys. Um, you know, but, but we had a plan from the outset, you know, from the beginning of this year, in terms of what each pitcher could, could do, what we thought they could do. Um, you know, so, so we're monitoring them. Yeah, because, I mean, he was only going, like, five in. You know, you could tell that they were managing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and as we are here, you know, with the extra off days, and now we're going to six-man. So it's hopefully going to help everybody. Yeah, is there, because there's all these different off days, is it still kind of five-man, six-man rotation? Like how, you know, like a guy like Sandy, I'm sure he doesn't want to necessarily go seven-man starts, but... The thing that we always forget about Sandy is he's still, he is a seasoned veteran, but he's still, I mean, age-wise, he's just not that old, so, you know, so, obviously, and that, you know, look, that's the kind of guy he is, he just wants that ball, and, you know, that's, that's what's admirable, one of the things that's most admirable important is it for a guy not only one ball but seeing what he's doing away from the field in terms of like mentoring Edward you mentioned one mentor six though just seeing him come out of the show from that aspect of it as well with such a young starting rotation yeah no absolutely and, and you know I've, I've seen um, you know where he said uh, you know that this was done for him when he was young quoting right. young right. Twenty five. Yeah, ago. 25 to 23 <laughs> and I mean all of this in the best possible way. But I think, you know, it speaks volumes about Sandy that, you know, obviously he wants to, to pay it forward. And I think that's, you know, that just speaks to his character, you know, the type of player he is and, and what a great teammate he is, you know, to, to take a guy like, you know, Cabrera under his wings and Luzardo under his wings, you know. Uh, also, with Brian Anderson, we know it's been an up and down season just because of the injuries. Just when you're in your first year, I remember back in the beginning, you said you wanted to see a full season. Just how tough is it to evaluate a guy when he when he is in such a bumpy path because of this time? It is hard, um, you know. So the good thing is that you know he, he came back, you know, able to see him um, in a little bit better window, and so. Uh, Sort of have an idea of what the, the high side is, and then you know where some of his lower points are. But it was great for me to be able to see that range. And then also uh, next week, Derek's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Just from you, I want to just get the compare and contrast from you from you in the front office role with him as a player versus 
work you working with him also in a front office type role. Just can you compare and contrast the two Derek to you? I could compare, but I'm not sure I can contrast because he's the same guy. <laughs> He's the same guy, and it's pretty. It's it's been um, interesting for me these last nine months to you know, watch our relationship grow. Um, he is the same, and and that is the amazing thing to me. Okay. Is the discipline that he had as a player, the discipline that he had as a you know, as the CEO, um, the leader that he was as a player. A young player, um, you know, and to see that translate to him as a CEO, a young CEO, um, you know, just how even healed he is and how patient he is, um, all the all of the the things that made him special as a player, uh, he was brought to the table as a CEO, and you know, and, and it makes him great to work for. There. From his playing career, because obviously that's where he's been helping. Is there a moment that stands out to you the most? I, it's tough because you know, and yeah, there are so many. Um, I mean, it had to be the the play in Oakland. <laughs> it's just like the unthinkable um, the unbelievable. So um, that would be the if I had to you know, choose one moment, that would be it. Yeah, because we sat there with arms in there like, who does that? <laughs> was there a moment from his your interaction with him when he was a player where you thought that maybe he could flip and do the front office type role? You know, I... <laughs> no, I think probably because I was just a little bit close-minded. You know, I mean, that was just not... Number one, if you're a player, why would you want to do that? Retired to an island, right? Uh, but no, I mean, I think that, again, that just speaks to who he is, right? Yeah, that this guy's had a Hall of Fame career, played for 20 plus years, and he still wants to work more and strive for something that we've never seen. And before we wrap up this week's episode, just one more soundbite. This one coming from shortstop Miguel Rojas. Uh, we got to talk with him Friday after the 10-3 win against the Phillies. The win where the Marlins had that seven-run outburst in the sixth inning. And basically, in general, he was praising a lot of the younger guys. The Brian De La Cruz's, the Jazz Chisholm's the Jesus Sanchez's, the Jesus Lazardos, the guys who the Marlins hope are going to become the key pieces. And I'll just let Miguel take it from here about where he sees these guys and just what the glimpses that he's seeing now that he believes is going to help the team long term. Yeah, you can see the, you can see the future. Like, the future is here now, you know? Like, before I used to talk to you guys about how the future was in the minors and uh, how we developing players in double A and triple A and and you you see you seeing these guys getting an opportunity getting a shot to show what they can do and uh, I, I'm really happy with uh, with the open downs you know like uh, our our boss Derek here say uh, to us and he he's been vocal about uh, struggle you know struggles are part of the game 
And it's not, it's not about how you struggle, it's how you respond to that. And I feel like, uh, experience for these guys, uh, are, is, is important for them to go through some things to, uh, to, uh, to know that they can succeed in the big leagues and then all of a sudden hit a little, little patch that, that they're not going to hit and, and they're going to do th- things that different way. But they, they have to stay, uh, uh, with a call. Hey, and they they gotta continue to play hard and they gotta continue to work harder every single day. So for me, it's it's, it's refreshing to see those guys up here. And at the end of the day, seeing Sanchez in the middle of the lineup already, uh, hitting some huge uh, homers and and getting guys in and and getting good at bats, uh, is 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 good to is good to watch because like I said before. You know about them because of whatever they will do in the big, in the minor leagues and and the numbers in the in the minors. But it's different when you get to this level. In this level, they're gonna they're gonna expose you right away. So for me, uh, they're getting a, a really good experience right now, and hopefully they can learn from this and they can grow uh, as well. And on that note, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again for tuning in. I'm Jordan McPherson, and we will be back again next week.